Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was in Galatians chapter 5. And in this program, I'd like to begin in Galatians chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, of course, what this means is, is that if you are under the law, you are definitely not being led by the Spirit. You're not being led by the Spirit. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And if you are under the law, you are not led by the Spirit. There is no way to merge the two different ways of life. There are two different ways of life described here, and there is no way to try to find some balance between the two or to find some way to accommodate maybe 50% law and 50% spirit. There's no way to do that. It's either one or the other. Now, this can be quite a challenge because if a person does not know what it means to be led by the Spirit, if you don't know what that means, then how are you going to enter into that? How are you going to have confidence in letting go of a life under the law? And what I will say concerning this is that this way of life has to do with living according to the knowledge of good and evil, that you know what you're supposed to do, you know what you're not supposed to do, you do those things that you are supposed to do, and you don't do those things that you're not supposed to do. If I suggest that you are not under a way of life such as that, then what does that really leave a person with? I mean, what are they going to do? How are they really going to live? Now, I know personally what this struggle is like. I remember, I remember very clearly what it was like to live a life devoted to obedience and repentance, trying to live according to the law to the best of my ability, as if that was really worth something. I remember what that was like. And I remember what it was like to be confronted with this and to see the truth that the life under the law would lead nowhere, that there was nothing but bondage, and that it was completely separated from living a life being led by the Spirit. I remember being confronted with that and not knowing what this life was of being led by the Spirit. Now, this is what I personally did. What you may do and how you may grow to discover this will, of course, be a personal experience for you. But for myself... I recognized that I did not know how to live. I recognized that I did not know what it meant to be led by the Spirit. And so I simply did my best not to live my life being led by the law, and instead I decided to wait. Just wait. I mean, there were things I had to do. I had to go to work. I had to feed myself. I had to make sure that I had the proper amount of food and clothing and fuel of those things that I needed for life. There were plenty of things that could keep me occupied until these things got resolved. I didn't just simply sit around in a corner and hum to myself waiting for God to provide some revelation of some kind. I lived my life just like anybody else would probably live their lives. 
The difference, though, is that I no longer tried to do things in order to impress God. I no longer tried to pretend to be somebody who I definitely was not, as I was discovering that I was not as obedient as I should be or as I could be or as how God saw me. I simply recognized the truth of my condition and decided to wait and to listen and to pay attention and to try, try my best to search for some understanding of what this meant as I continued to read the scriptures, as I would pray. And over the course of time, over the course of time, as I was set free from trying to live a life of obedience and repentance, I discovered that I was loved by my God and accepted by my God. And over time, through resting in what he accomplished for me, I was able I was able to live my life in a completely different way, which was based on what he did. It was no longer based on what I was doing. And that was the beginning for me. You know, some people, they need to let go of a few laws a little bit at a time. And over time, a gradual transformation and change can occur, whereas a person can begin to see what it means to be led by the Spirit, even though they are hanging on to some laws in their life. So this is a personal individual experience, but there are some basic fundamentals that I can definitely have a lot of confidence in describing. The first, of course, is that a person must rest in the fundamental truth that they are forgiven. Otherwise, there's just simply not a lot that the Lord can do with a person, with an individual. There's just simply is not a lot that he can do in terms of transforming who they are as a person inside. You must rest In his forgiveness, you must begin to grow and rest in his love, in his acceptance and those things. And you must begin to see the world through his eyes as he sees the world through what he accomplished in the Lord Jesus, which has to do with forgiveness, of course. That is a basic fundamental and other fundamentals are derived from there. And I sincerely believe that as a person will depend and trust more in the forgiveness of God, that he will begin to open their eyes to the implications of that forgiveness. He will begin to reveal to you what he sees, what he does, and he will reveal who he is to you in a new way so that you can begin to be led by him on the basis of what he reveals, on the basis of the truth that he shares, on the basis of the accomplishment of the cross, on the basis of the accomplishments that he has already done on your behalf. And on that basis, you will then see that there is a way of life that a person can live that has nothing to do with the law. Now, in addition to that, in the previous program, I was talking about the differences between living a life of the indulgence of the flesh and living a life of the restraint of the flesh, and that in reality, there really is no difference. There's no difference between living a life of the indulgence of the flesh or the restraint of the flesh, because living a life according to the restraint of the flesh will eventually lead to a life of the indulgence of the flesh. It will eventually lead to that. And that's what I was explaining in verses 19 through 21, where it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, and he goes through this entire list of the things that describe the works of the flesh. But again... Living a life of the indulgence of the flesh will, of course, lead to these things. But living a life of the restraint of the flesh will lead to these things because the law stirs up sin. And so the bottom line is, 
is that if you live according to the restraint or the indulgence of the flesh, you are still living according to the flesh. Again, if you live according to either the indulgence or the restraint of the flesh, you are still living according to the flesh. If you live a life with the presence of the law or the absence of the law, you can still be living a life according to the flesh. It doesn't matter because you are still living according to your flesh in the sense that you are trying to control it, you're trying to manage it, or you're trying to accomplish things so that your flesh may in some way feel satisfied. But as I was explaining in the previous program, there is no way for satisfaction through the flesh to ever be achieved, either through indulgence or restraint, because the true needs that we have are spiritual needs. We have spiritual needs that drive us, that direct us. We have a need for love. We have a need for acceptance, for meaning and purpose in our lives. These are the needs that we truly have that drive us in our daily lives. And when we pursue fulfillment for these needs outside of a personal relationship with our God, the only one who can possibly meet these needs, then by default, we end up going into the world trying to get the world, the people or the things within the world. We try to get them to meet the needs that we have, which is, of course, what leads to sin. So this is where I was at in the previous program. And what I want you to understand is that if you are going to be led by the Spirit, the only way that you're going to begin to understand what it means to be led by the Spirit, the only way you're going to understand this is by allowing Him to meet the deepest needs of your spirit, of your heart, your very being. That is the only possible way. So in verses 19 through 21, this is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, He gives a description of the works of the flesh, but... Because these are the result of either the restraint or indulgence of the flesh, you can also say that these are the works of the law. Now, at the end of verse 21, the Apostle Paul says something very interesting. He says in verse 21, "...envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit..." the kingdom of God. This is the end of verse 21. He says that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do people do when they read a verse such as this? Well, this is one of the assumptions that people make. People will make the assumption that this means that if you practice these things, you will go to hell. And, of course, he's writing to believers, right? He's writing to people who know who the Lord Jesus is. If that's the case, then he is suggesting to them that if they practice these sins, then they are going to lose their salvation. They are going to go to hell. This is a common verse that people use in order to support this position, to support this belief that a person's salvation is contingent on their ability to restrain their flesh. So what do people do if they do not believe that a person can lose their salvation? What do people do? Well, in many cases, they just either avoid these verses or if they get confronted to the extent where they have to respond, 
then they will focus on that word practicing and they will say, well, as long as you're not doing it too much, you know, as long as you do it a little bit, but you don't do it a lot or at some point you manage to put it aside before you die, of course, then then you'll be okay. That's how people usually try to go through this verse and describe how you can accept this verse in the scriptures, in this place, in the New Testament. You can do this because you can give people a way out by saying, well, as long as you don't do it too much. But this will always lead to uncertainty. Uncertainty in the sense that people can still believe that they can lose their salvation. Now, I, of course, do not believe that a person can possibly lose their salvation. But the reason why is because a person's salvation is not dependent on the activity of their flesh. What I believe concerning salvation is that a person is saved through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is being offered to humanity freely, freely, without any concern with regards to how well this person has got their flesh under control. That the Holy Spirit is being offered by our God to dwell within humanity to resurrect us from the dead. Now, of course, the reason why the Holy Spirit can be given to us is because he forgives our sins and doesn't hold our sins against us. And, of course, that's also the reason why the Holy Spirit can remain within us, because he doesn't hold our sins against us. But when you read a verse like this, you kind of have to wonder, you know, well, does he maybe hold some sins against us some of the time versus other sins that he doesn't necessarily hold against us? I mean, how can we really put this together? Well, to me, it's very simple. First of all, everyone is guilty of sin. Everyone is guilty. Everyone practices and is pretty successful at committing various sins. And he lists a number of sins. You know, adultery is in the list, but you also have envy. How about that one? How about envy? How about selfish ambitions? Anybody ever want to Talk about that one, selfish ambitions. A lot of people have some significant selfish ambitions. I mean, there's plenty of sin for everybody in this list. In my opinion, the reason why he brings this up is to show that everyone, everyone is in a condition. Everyone is in a condition such that no one will inherit the kingdom of God. No one will ever inherit the kingdom of God if they are under the law. Again, referring to verse 18. The works of the flesh are evident. The works of the law are evident. If this is how you live, then there is no way that you will inherit the kingdom of heaven. That, to me, is what he is saying in verse 21. So if you can consider it from that point of view... I'm going to read again Galatians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, where he says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now consider, if you are under the law, then the works of the flesh are evident. If you are under the law, the works of the flesh are plain, clear. He gives a whole list all the way to the bottom of the list where he says, Drunkenness and revelries and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
In other words, if you are under the law, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you are living a life of the restraint of the flesh, you will never do so successfully, and so you will never inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, for those who don't even bother and live a life of the indulgence of the flesh, well, that's easy. Of course, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, no one is going to inherit the kingdom of God unless he grants to them the kingdom of God graciously, mercifully, without any conditions associated with it at all. He has to give the kingdom of God and give the inheritance in Christ Jesus to us, to people. That is the only way. That's the point. In verse 22 then, he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. He says this as an alternative. You are either led by the Spirit, in which case you can experience verse 22, that is the fruit of the Spirit, or if you're going to be led by the law, you're going to experience verses 19 to 21, which says in the end that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, for the most part, what people do is they look at verses 18 to 26 from the point of view, from the point of view of you either have the works of the flesh or you have the works of the Spirit. That's usually how people view these verses, where they say, if you're going to live a life of the indulgence of the flesh, verses 19 to 21 are for you. But if you are going to live a life of the restraint of the flesh, then verses 22 to 26 are for you. That verses 22 through 26 are read from the perspective of the restraint of the flesh. And I believe that that is a huge mistake, that that is the complication, that you either do the works of the flesh or you do the works of the Spirit. This is how it works out. People will read verses 19 to 21 as the works of the flesh and verses 22 to 26 as the works of the Spirit. So people will generally live according to either the works of one or the works of the other. But again, if you read these verses from that point of view, verses 22 to 26 will then become a new law. They will become a new law that people are led by, which means that they will again be guilty of verse 18, that they are being led by a law. They are under the law. And what is this law? The law is love, right? Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and so you now have this new law in your life that you have to love, such as love your neighbor as yourself, as he wrote in verse 14, which I explained in a previous program. He says love, that becomes your law. Have joy, you are now commanded to live in joy, to live in peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, and I have been... In Bible studies in my life, I have listened to preachers give great sermons concerning this, explaining to people, leaders are telling people that this is the law that we are to live by. And how do they do it? They sit down and they try to compile a list, a list of all the things that a person should be doing in order to ensure, in order to demonstrate that they have love in order to live a life of joy, in order to live a life of peace. They begin to compile a list of what a Christian's life should look like that would reflect these things. And what does that list eventually look like? It looks like this, a list of the restraint of the flesh. That's what it looks like. 
You know, one time I went to visit a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he was looking over this, and he was trying to prepare for his Sunday sermon that he was going to present the following Sunday, and he was having a really hard time with this. I sat down with him and talked with him for a little bit, and he said, you know, I'm having a really hard time because I do not see these things real in my life. You know, I'm sitting down here trying to prepare a message to present to my congregation. And this congregation was a sizable congregation, several hundred people. And he felt that he needed to compile a list of all the things that we should be doing in order to show that we have love or in order to generate some love and joy, peace in our lives. What should our life look like in order to ensure that we are doing these works? And this is how I responded to him. I responded to him by asking him, well, are these things real in your life? I mean, seriously, are these things real? Do you see this kind of fruit in your life? And he said, you know, honestly, I don't. I don't. You know, it's one thing to talk with people behind closed doors. It's another thing to talk with people in public. Sometimes when people are in public, especially pastors, People who are in leadership positions, they can't necessarily be that honest because they are supposed to be there for the purpose of helping everybody else figure out how they're going to live this way. And so they're supposed to have it all together. So I asked him, do you have it all together? I mean, do you really? And he said, no. And so I asked him, then what makes you think you're going to be able to give a real, true, heartfelt explanation with regards to how this can be real in other people's lives? How are you really going to accomplish that? besides finding somebody else's sermon and just simply plagiarizing that. Why don't you just do that? Make it easy for yourself. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people do that. So what's the big deal? And he was disturbed because he really wanted this to be real. And so what did I tell him? I told him this. I said, listen, it says here in verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the spirit. That's what it says. It says that this is the fruit of the spirit. It doesn't say that this is the fruit of you. It doesn't say that this is what's to be expressed or manifested in your life. It says that this is what is manifested by the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God who manifests this fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness. If you try to do anything to establish a life or a way of life or an attitude or sincerity motivated by either the beatings or the blessings, if you try to do anything to restrain your flesh as opposed to indulge your flesh, you're still going to end up in verses 19 to 21 because you were not created by God to function that way. You will eventually end up in sin, no matter how sincere you are. It will eventually occur. If it's not manifested within and through your flesh directly, it will still occur in your heart, in your mind. It will still be a struggle in the core of your being. He says in verse 18 that you are to be led by the Spirit. If you are to be led by the Spirit, then He has to lead you. How is he going to lead you? How is he going to direct you? He does so by giving you himself. He gives you himself. And these are the characteristics, the qualities, the description of his being as he is within you, as he is with you, as he is leading you. To be led by the Spirit means that you are led according to him and what he gives you. 
according to him and what he says to you, according to him and how he directs you. If you're going to be led by anyone, they have to lead you through communicating to you something, directing you by giving you something. For example, for a king to lead his army in war, he has to tell his army where to go, who to fight, and he has to equip them with the weapons that they need in order to fight this war. For the Lord to lead us, he has to direct us and show us where to go and why, and he has to provide us with the resources that we need in order to live our lives according to the direction and the leading that he presents to us. He is our leader. He is our king. We are in a war. So how does he do this? How does he give us the resources that we need? How does he lead us? By being, by just simply being in us, around us, by just simply being in our lives. He is with us and he loves us. That is a fruit that he presents to us. Take it and eat it. Joy, yes, Our God actually enjoys us. And so take of that fruit and eat that. You receive the fruit of the Spirit. That's what you get. That's what He gives to you. If you will rest in His love, if you will rest in His joy, if you will rest in His peace, His long-suffering towards you, His kindness, His goodness, His faithfulness, His gentleness... His self-control, there's no law against these things. Against such, there is no law. So there is no reason to fear receiving these things. There is no law against these things because there is no law that will prevent you from receiving these things or Him from giving you these things. There is no law because we are not under the law We are forgiven. He has set us free so that he can freely give his fruit to us, the fruit of the Spirit, and we can freely receive his fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, so that we can be fulfilled in the deepest part of our being and we can begin to live being led by the Spirit of God through the inheritance that we have already received, the inheritance of the kingdom of God that we can have now and today and we will continue to live in throughout eternity. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net